0: Hello, I'm Gavin Elliott, Sports Sector Lead and Principal Architect of BDP's Manchester Studio. Welcome to our latest BDP Podcast, where I'm joined by a panel of experts who will be discussing the emerging trends in sports and venue design. In the UK, sporting institutions such as the Marylebone Cricket Club, Leicester City FC and Manchester City FC have changed the game when it comes to developing state-of-the-art training venues, where hospitality, fitness and community facilities cross over to create exceptional places. So, what are the specific challenges of creating world class training venues and how can we design state of the art facilities that are fit for elite sports people while also considering aspiring athletes and surrounding communities? With me to, for today's conversation is Andrew Capewell, Architect Director of BDP's Manchester Studio. Hi, i don't think it's good to be here. Uh, and Nick Smith, Managing Director of Ardent Sports, a strategic planning, design and development consultancy. Nick joins us as a leading expert in facilities design, having collaborated on projects with football clubs, including Manchester City and Liverpool, as well as world-renowned sports organisations, including UEFA and UFC. Hi, oh, Gavin Andy. Good to see you again. And um, welcome to you both. Thank you. Nice Thanks, Gavin. So the first question today is really about performance. Uh, the training ground is where is effectively the athlete's office where they go to learn to become better so how do we create training facilities that will help professional athletes perform at their best
1: well i think Evan, right at the outset it's so important to intimately understand the athletes or the teams or the sports that you are uh, working with in order to um, come up with those solutions that help them perform better. So let me give you an example of that. The needs of, say, a Premier League football team versus a college an American football team or a cricket club or a or a UFC fighter have such dramatically different needs that until you can start to understand and immerse yourself into their world, you can't really, in my mind, um create the solutions to um, and the environments to help them perform better so that's the that's the first thing is to is to
0: get involved with that so to really get under the bonnet of the problem and understand the individual performance requirements for the specific sports and and once you've done that what's the second step
1: and um, so once you understand you know the sport the athlete, um then i think you can start to develop um solutions uh around their priorities so uh, an athlete may have um may have say um uh, a periodization need where they need to train over certain phases they might have five tournaments in the year or if you take a boxer or a ufc fighter they might have you know three three um uh, events or fights in the air whereas a premier league Football team Saturday to Saturday to Saturday, 50, 50 odd games if they go into most, most uh, deep into most competitions, then um, you start to understand all those nuances that sit within the demands within the sport, and then you can create environments. So, um, you know, recovery, if you're playing 50 games a year nearly every single weekend, clearly becomes much more of a priority in terms of the demands of the sport that you're doing. And so then you can start to uh, factor into the design and to the environment um more extensive recovery just using that as an example um um
0: by understanding those
1: um the demands and the the needs of of that organization
0: and andy i know when we were uh looking at the manchester city training ground we, we did a whole load of benchmarking exercise and looking at the difference between say uh the Arsenal approach, as well as with Arsene Wenger and what Manchester City were proposing to do, so I guess it's not just down to the individual athletes, but also to some extent down to the characteristics and approaches of organizations and 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 for that matter, managers.
2: Absolutely, no. I think I think Nick's made a really good point there. That that this isn't, you know, there are no hard and fast rules with this. I think. Every club has a different kind of culture and a, and a, and the way that they operate. And for us as designers, um, the really really key thing is, as Nick's described, is understanding what makes that organisation tick. What makes this? What are the specific requirements of that organisation and their and the teams? And then individually, when it comes to players and and kind of athletes, you know, what what do they need to be able to focus on the thing that that, that you know that optimizes their performance and in the end makes them better. And that's what these environments are are all about, isn't it? Um, But as you say, just going back to the beginning of that, you know, the key thing is there there are no hard and fast rules. This is very personalized. And
0: and is there um, a technological aspect to this? I guess sports science has massively changed over the course of the last 20, 30 years. So I guess uh, there's a greater focus on the sort of the science of sport and optimizing performance through evidence-based methods and scans and technology. Is that
2: is that a big factor? Okay. I guess it is, isn't it? I mean, from, from our point of view as designers, it's about facilitating change. You know, that technology never stays still. It's constantly evolving. So from... You know, in terms of creating spaces and how they link together, it's about trying to design in flexibility to facilitate that that future change. Um. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that is really really key. And you know, we see we see that across not just this particular sector of design, but you know, just generally the, the you know the way technology is changing, data is driving what we do everywhere isn't it all across the, the 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 process of the way we design building. So Gavin gavin I just want to pick up um on
1: something that Andy said previously he mentioned the word personalization. So although we're talking broadly around um you know needs, requirements, different sports, athletes, etc., there is some um uh, principles that exist through everything. Okay. And um what I think what we've learned in working together as well as um on different projects is, um, no matter what the sport or whether you're your team or whether you're an individual, we have to put the athlete at the center of any environment or any performance model, um, related around training centers. So the, and this is critical. So whether, whether we're in design or whether we're in science or whether we're in tech technology, the user, um, the athletes or the player has to be at the center of that. And we build the model from them out. And, we, uh, and we'll talk more about kind of the model of functionality and the facilities in a moment. But along with that um, athlete-centered approach comes personalization. And so this is, is, is an evolving principle that a lot of people pay lip service to, I think. And the really, really elite top teams get better at this because they have the funds and the resources to invest uh, uh into each individual athlete. You know, when you get into your Man City's, Manchester United's, Everton's, et cetera, you know, they have large teams of, you know, their support staff are nearly one to one, one to two of athlete to to staff. Obviously when you're getting down into um, sports or or clubs that might not have the same funds or resources, it's a little bit less, but still the personalization is key. Everybody doing the same warm up doesn't work anymore. Everybody drinking the same supplement drink doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily give you the gains and benefits to that athlete or player. And so, um, um, whereas we started this podcast by saying we need to understand the sport, the club, and everything, each one of those clubs needs to understand their individual, you know, what makes them tick, what makes them perform, what makes them happy, what makes them kind of perform better. And so, that personalization is key. Uh, well, I would say is of the most critical importance and you know our job is to provide the environment to allow them to uh, maximize their
0: personalization and, um, and play centricity and, and i guess the the athlete's journey similarly has come a long way since you know the days of dare i say man united in the 80s hard drinking brian robson going down the pub and then training the following day it's now completely immersive 24 7 and every aspect of the player or the athlete's life is considered in terms of how it contributes to their performance. Uh, and I suppose in that sense, the training ground environment is a much more holistic place where every single detail down to the smallest, tiniest thing is considered in that context. Um, so do, you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about the the, the player journey in, Perhaps in the context of Manchester City, you know, the, I know we did a lot of work in terms of from, from arrival to putting on their boots, how all of that contributed to optimizing performance.
1: Yeah, and um, uh, you're spot on. And I think, um, you, you know, I think it's the same as in any business process, any successful business, um, whether they're making widgets or whatever that they do, they analyze the journey or the process of that product to be made to get to market. They understand their market. It's the same with the player and the athlete now. In nowadays, you, you make me laugh at some of those photos we've seen in the back in the eighties of the players running through the streets of whichever city they were in. You know, with little boys and girls around them doing their kind of five k runs. Um, um, but um yes, so mapping that journey out uh, is 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 key, and that starts at home. Night sleep how well have they slept how well have how well are they hydrated before they leave home and um and we saw um and then kind of through to the drive so we saw quite a dramatic change when we when we moved a training center from um uh from a location where it was very very close to where players lived they were within i would say 15 minutes of the drive and we moved it for all the right reasons for 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 that club and that organization to be you know closer to um you know, its community and its fan base and and to be more commercial, um, landed up those players having to drive maybe forty five minutes to get to the training center. And um the following season to that we saw impact on uh injuries, stiffness, um less recovery, um, you know, to so you know some of those players had to change their cars and their style and how they were getting to and from training centers so you know every part of that journey needs to be mapped out and understood um through the process and so then when you get into so so in then when we get to the training center clearly it's about how do we how do we um uh, have safe secure easily accessible um facility in its broadest sense and then into the training center how are we getting from car into their office the change room very very quickly and from there to their
0: four or five main functions of the day so that they become a lot more efficient and focused on 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 performance here And Andy I guess uh, a bit like staying in a fancy hotel what happens behind the scenes to make the player's journey easy and and seamless is almost as important as as, as their own experience so all the um, you know the, the back of house facilities all have to function. Optimally, as as well.
2: No, you're right. I mean, I think yeah. Obviously, Nick's fo- you know described uh, the the focus around designing the facility around the athletes and making things right for them. But as you say, to actually make that happen, you've also got to understand how does all the servicing work and all the other complicated stuff that happens uh, around the, the training. Um, how does that operate? You know, how does how does the um, the grounds team operate? When do, how do they deal with all of the pitches in a way or the, all or the or the playing areas that in a way that doesn't disturb what the athletes are trying to do, you know, how um, and yeah, so, so, so in the same way that we, we build space around the, um, the athletes, we also need to focus on what everyone else is doing. The coaches, the, the medical staff, the, and all the other people that make the operation work. Mm.
0: And, and, and is there some optimal balance between, the training ground being so comfortable that uh, it, people just want to kick back and relax, as opposed to it being so Spartan, they feel um, like they're not welcome and uh, and and they're being punished. I mean, how how what what is, what is what is, what is that balance? How do you get the functionality right, but also make it a, a welcoming and and hospitable place?
1: So I think that's a really good question. And, and I don't I don't have the answer for that right now. Um, I suppose I'll answer it in a way where um, I think it comes down to the, the sport, the hierarchy of the athlete or player. Uh, it comes down to, so do you have a multi-sport training facility like an Olympic training center, for example, um, and people are moving around a campus or like a college, you know, so you're moving from campus to campus um, and um um uh, so I don't think there's there's a an answer to that, but I think clearly if you're earning um three hundred thousand pounds a week, you probably have um some element of um lifestyle that you might want to maintain whilst um whilst <laughs> going about your day um and um and so therefore you know if if um if said said organization or club wanted to keep you and attract you to stay at the facility to control all of those performance environments around you, they're probably going to have to make that that facility um, um, as good as um, you going to, you know, a different five-star hotel or private members club somewhere or, you know, um, uh, or back to your own sofa and lounge. So, uh, you know, but that, so that comes back down to culture. And I, I mean, I, I say that in jest, but, it, but, but I, I'm, I'm being serious about that. There is, there is, um, Um, I, I think as sports become more professional, the players, um, you know, football has been professional for a long time, but there's other sports that are becoming and evolving in professionalism. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the, the, the football, the football clubs that we've worked for and, and we know the athletes are highly disciplined, uh, exceptionally professional. And it's about creating an environment that makes them feel, uh, happy, warm, uh belonging uh you know togetherness with the organization so that they are performing at their best when they are happy make no bones about it they are they are going to perform at their best um whereas you know some some other places like an academy maybe or or uh or uh, a multi um uh, uh, sport training facility um you know, could get away with something a little bit more mm. basic mm. and simple. Mm. Um, but the athletes are coming in for shorter periods of time just to do their their, their physical skill based training, and then they go and do mm. recovery, maybe in a different time.
0: Mm. Well, I think that, that that brings us on quite neatly to our next topic, which is this whole move now of of um, elite sports training grounds also having a community dimension to them, and seeing them as as a means of sort of leveraging. Improved health outcomes in communities and, and bringing the community in to see what's behind the gates. Um, so, so, what, you know, what what are the sort of optimum attributes for the the twenty first century training facility aspiring to be part of the community? Is there is there a, is there a tick list? What are, what are the attributes and the, and the and the and the brief, Andy? I know you've been uh, working at St. Helens on similar
2: facilities. That's right. I mean, I think. It kind of comes back a little bit to what we were touching on earlier, whereas is this This is very much around understanding that individual organisation and relatively positioning the the, the kind of, um, you know, let, let's take an example. Um, if we were to compare, say, St. Helens, Rugby League, um, Football Club, who have been working closely with, looking at how they can work together with the community, that that's a very different proposition to thinking about how Manchester City football club might engage with their you know support base and their community because they're in different sort of um uh, kind of levels of the atmosphere as it were and and it, and it's about understanding that at the beginning because that, that really has a key key aspect to it when we were working with um, the rugby club we had a lot of discussion with them about you know what their the expectations of their players were what the what their players needed to perform at their best and I think they were quite comfortable with having quite a direct link between themselves and the community you know they would bump into them in the street because actually that that, that you know it's they they they're kind of um, they're the number one sporting organisation in that town that you know everybody in the town supports them um they don't have the kind of cross town rivalry that somewhere like Manchester might have with their two big football clubs you know so it's a very different proposition isn't it and and that very much informed our approach to that particular project and how we could use um, the elite training facilities as, as an inspiration for um, for activity, for health, for well-being in the, in the community. Um, so, yeah, as I say, it's about understanding that that the, the the club, the team, and and their relationship with the with the community they they exist in, and and that whole
0: street to elite journey. Again, with the players as role models, that's that's facility, facilitated by inviting the community in and enabling them to see what goes on behind behind the wall, um, and 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 involving them and training them and and then sending them back out into the community again. I guess I know I know Nick, that was something we talked about quite a lot on the, on on Man City's training ground. We did, and it was one of the reasons why we wanted to take Man City back to its
1: community. Um, and put the whole club back onto that to that site. But this community piece is so layered, isn't it? It's on so many different levels can we have an impact. And I think we take a little bit of it for granted in in, um, in this country as to how deep-rooted our sports organizations are in their, in, in their community. And this is not the same where I've been fortunate enough to go to some other countries in different sports. Um, of course, they have an impact, but Ours are so deep rooted. It's like um, we 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 um, we easily can infiltrate into you know kids and schools and education systems and curriculums to to um, health uh, community um, uh, wellness organizations and uh, mental health and diabetes and you know uh, and because. Um, our our sports organizations have such a standing within the community the impact that they're able to have both positive and negative by the way um is 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 exceptionally powerful and um and so i think the the built environments that we create become um landmarks they become these um statements of intent okay and what why i'm going there with that with this point is that then if you're going to create these places that um, allow us to engage with our community, um, it, it's, it's how, how do you then manage the free flow of people between them? And I don't think we should shy away from some of these environments need to be private at times, And um, we need to be able to secure them, and then some. Some of the times we should be able to open them up. So we should be able to embrace the community. They come in, they um, use the facilities that we have, or or facilities that we give out their access to. I think this is really important. It it inspires and aspires the community. Goes back to your point on on. Um, you know, street to elite um, um, in terms of the environments we create. Uh, so this is on a club and organization level. We, they've, they've all got the function rooms and meeting rooms to have courses and events, and you know, so on different so on different layers. But what we're finding more and more now is that the players actually um, more and more that I see are, are are having their own purpose and their own purpose journeys, and so they can engage with their community which might not be the one that they're playing in Um, and how and so and with social media now and technology they're able to engage with communities all over the world but um what's so powerful is when you see these players have have um have the purpose journey and story that they have and then back to our point is well how does that get infected by the environment so now what you see in training grounds is you're seeing kind of social media studios popping up in in training centers Yeah, so um, to allow these players to talk to the world from Mm. their environment. So just a small example as to how you know the community can affect,
0: and they can still speak and engage through these. Yes, I, I I suppose that's quite interesting, isn't it? In the sense that, as you said before, obviously in terms of the practicalities, the elite, let's take a Premier League club, the elite players need to be kept separate from academicians and so on and so forth but obviously as you say with with social media and you know look at someone like marcus rashford there's an ability to reach out to a far greater number of people than was ever possible before Perfect. whilst at the same time maintaining the privacy and 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 the 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 functional needs of being at your place of work and 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 you know being an elite athlete so yeah i think that's that's a really good point i mean one of one of the the other things i think was quite again, I'm uh, talking about Man City again, was very noteworthy when we when we were were talking to, to the club, was the whole future-proofing of, of the Etihad campus at the time and what was a very uh, sort of interesting and prescient decision to co-locate the academicians. But obviously, since that time, um, women's football is now massively on the rise. And I suppose if you were looking forward or were doing that project again, maybe the blend of, uses on the site would be slightly different i mean do, do you see future trends in training grounds is is you know what's the next thing is it is it women's sport is that exclusively football or or what what about other sports that you're involved in you know what's what's the future Nate? come on tell us <laughs>
1: <laughs> i i think women women is definitely one of them um if, uh, and i see this on multiple sports so within rugby within um you know ufc and um and you know, and funnily enough, the one that was one of the sports that we worked with, and which was so resistant to it, was UFC and fighting. But yet, it, it's what it's one of the sports where they've got um, equality so quickly, even in even in the quality of of sports and the quality of the event, and um, uh, it, it's uh, it's amazing um, the um, dedication and um, that uh, the women have to um, to their trade and to their sport. Um, but yes, yeah, so I think if I look back on, on um, Manchester City, although we were groundbreaking in, in creating their own stadium and train at the, and including training centre uh, within the facility, um, uh, I I don't think we've included enough at the time. Um, and um, but we are, I suppose, seven years down the line. And my has it grown. Um, in that in that period of in that period of time, so um, yes, embracing embracing that growth and and um, and, uh, and the amount of um, requirements. You know, I mean, we're now moving into an era where the uh, women's academy will be the same size as the men's within the next two to three years, and we see um, a number of the other Premier League clubs starting to purchase land. In advance of needing to do that you know basically doubling the size of their training center environments so i do i do see that as a a major growth but then i do see the the um the two other areas of commercial which has been around forever but it's how do we do commercial and um and then kind of your social technology social media studio world and how are we creating content uh, from the training ground And both of them kind of dovetail a little bit. But um, if you think about um, maybe five to eight years ago, um, even Gavin, when we were doing kind of like uh, remodeling of the Etihad Stadium, before it was the Etihad even, um, uh, was... um, you know, we were just then starting to kind of look at how people flowed and the stadium was the icon piece of, if you were a partner, you came and sponsored the stadium where you bought a box and that was your experience as a partner. Now it's about how do I get that behind the scenes money can't buy access to the product, the real product, the players. Um, how am I seeing that daily working of a sports organization? Um, and coupled with that, um, integration. Okay. So that commercial partnership now needs to integrate with the person or organization, sports organization that it is partnering with. So now, how do the athletes, if it's a car sponsorship, you know, how how, how are the athletes or the staff or the players using those cars? It's not about just kind of putting their name on a shirt. Uh, yeah. They want to see, you know, the um, electric cars going up and down the training center or around the place. You know, how are you building that in? How are you, um, um, uh, you know the drinks partner. You know it, it just literally can't be. You know just change the label on a bottle and just show the world that you need to be using it and you need to have authenticity around the brand. Just look at the Champions League, yeah. So those teams when you see them jump on the plane to go, they're wearing different clothes to the Champions League than what they do when they rock up at a Premier League game, when they're in, in, in their normal tracksuits, because they're showing the brand and they've got to show authenticity against the 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 the, the, the brand. Yeah. So this is quite key
0: yeah so nick in in passing, in terms of your list of, of uh, potential sponsorship vehicles you mentioned evs which is a sort of neat segue maybe to the whole issue of sustainability and low carbon design obviously you know unlike stadiums which is just occupied on match days for the most part training ground is as we said before the place of work for the players and and the training staff and the Low carbon design, and sustainability is now a, a, an increasingly important feature in the design of these facilities.
2: Absolutely, no, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's it's all of those things, isn't it? I mean, if if I were to take um, the the project we're looking at at the moment with um, Lancashire Cricket, um, we are looking at a new facility for them to help them to expand their their training base uh and you know provide additional match playing capacity but also to look after with their development their squads and in particular the the huge growth of the, of the women's game um and um yeah that that by almost been able to start afresh with that we we've also um been able to take a really um kind of holistic approach to thinking about sustainability um the carbon footprint of the scheme. Um, Think about how design can can really help the club to deliver. Because sustainability is obviously much more than just about low carbon design. It's about you know all of the other things we've talked about, connection with the community, um, and and how that happens at both a physical level and and as Nick's described, a, a kind of virtual level, um, a, and and reaching out to people not just in this country, all, all around the world. Um, so, so yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know, organisations are all looking at sustainability. It's, it's it's the challenge of the great challenge of our times, isn't it? And um, yes, and I, it's it, it,
0: yeah. and I suppose in a, in a in a training ground context, uh, which certainly football, cricket, there's expansive areas of pitches. Yes, it's, it's more than just focusing on the building. It's a more holistic concern about the whole sort of microclimate. And...
2: Absolutely yeah biodiversity you know yeah you're you're absolutely right it's it's a it's an intensive operation isn't it and i think thinking about things like water usage you know irrigation recapturing resources and being able to reuse them um and, and and as you say the setting biodiversity you know having treading lightly on on that that environment and what can be quite a significant land take um in such a way that it, that it kind of has a positive impact. And and just sort
0: of in passing, I was just thinking about my sort of list of, uh, questions to ask you guys. I mean, what about, what about, um, the whole issue of disabled sport and accessibility considerations? Obviously, I, I guess a lot of this conversation has been around sort of elite able-bodied sport, but uh, obviously, um, the Paralympics, you know, disabled sports have massive, um, growth. Uh, thing as well at the moment any any thoughts in terms of training for Paralympic sports sadly I don't think it's received the profile that maybe some of the other growing
1: areas within sport have done um, or have had should I say like we've just discussed around women I think is, has seen exponential growth um, and um, and the um, and I find like I, I feel that like I I um, touch it much more in what you're saying in the multi-sport Olympic kind of top training facilities, um, and wider scale master plans and university top facilities than you do in a specific, uh, elite club or elite athlete environment. that's not to say that environments aren't created, but it's not in, in the, in the, in the dials of, of, uh, priority that seems to be, you know, meet regulations yes. over, over yeah. and, and, uh, you know, over, over deliver. Um, and um, whereas I, I think that the same um, emphasis and focus that we've had on on um, areas like women, we should it should be um, most certainly included within
2: uh, all sports facilities. But just, I mean, just to add to that, Gavin. I mean, I think you know, thinking about what that means from a facilities point of view, um, you know, creation of flexible spaces because. You know, Quite often when we're designing these kinds of buildings, you know, thinking not just about the environments for teams but also the environments for officials, all the people that support the process of what happens in these facilities, um, you know, it, it, it changes the way that you approach the design of space when you start thinking about, well, how does this con- t- take consideration of all the different kinds of users? So I think... It's, it's, it's right to, um, to, it's a really good point you make, I think, about just re- the, the fact that that raising awareness of accessible sport um, and thinking about how everybody uses these kinds of buildings that, you know, will change the physical design of them. Um, and, you know, as Nick says, there's a bit of a journey, I think, still to go to get to the point where, where that becomes something that's, that's built in and but this is i think this is what we touched on in the beginning really is about you know this future business of future proofing is 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 really about trying to build in flexibility at the outset because these things are constantly moving and changing and developing yeah. okay and i think we've have actually
0: touched on the next subject already but i guess uh, what you know one aspect of the modern training ground now is all about community partnerships engagement and commercialization they're no longer just the place of work they're obviously opportunities for commercial partners media partners and the community to come in so are there any sort of rules of thumb or thoughts around the do's and the don'ts the good and the bad of what the perfect training ground would provide and how those partnerships and opportunities can be facilitated well we're still seeking perfect training ground <laughs> so um the
1: um uh, and knowing all of each of our personalities and i'm sure we'll ever get there but the um um i think as i have mentioned the commercial and community bit for me um the major kind of uh, needle changer recently has been integration so how are those partners whether it be community or whether it be commercial how do they integrate into the brand and the everyday working of the club with their facility or with their product or with or with um uh health benefit in a community for example how do they integrate however that's the pro the con is for the brand is how do they manage the um uh time spent with the commercial and community and and sometimes could be evasive um and how how do they um protect their brand and organization and players and athletes for the times that they need to be a club brand and and stuff and get on with delivering their, um, uh, what makes them successful operating a football club, for example, operating a rugby club or operating a tennis club or whatever it is. Um, and, um, as whilst also integrating its partners and its community into its facility. And so that takes, that takes time consideration back to our first principles that we started with around function, uh, you know, user flows, when do you allow people in, when do you allow people out, um, and takes real, real planning with with uh, owners, clients, and and the
0: design team. And and the other thing to to add to that one,
2: and it's it's an interesting one. I mean, what, I suppose one thing going through my mind is, um, obviously, we've t- we've touched on content creation and the things, those kind of things that engage these sorts of facilities, and and as it as you've noted, Nick, you know, provide an insight into the inner workings of a club in a way that, you know, even the stadium can't in some ways because yeah. this is the place where the, where the, the you know, the athletes kind of um, do their, their real work, as it were. I suppose, I suppose one thing going through my mind is do, do you see that going any further? You know, do, do, do you see a more physical engagement, you know, with uh, people visiting, you know... Uh, and these becoming something more, for, you know, to, to, they feel yeah. quite separate at the moment. And do you see a world where they become more connected, I suppose? Yeah, I, I,
1: I do. I, 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 think it's, I think it's evolving. Let's, let's just take uh, what's out there at the moment. So look at the impact of uh, Drive to Survive, the Formula One um, thing on Netflix, and getting behind the scenes. And, that, and that's hardly, in all honesty, that's hardly letting um, the fan group, into much behind the scenes I mean if you look at the Amazon uh, documentaries go much more behind the scenes in the football clubs and the NFL clubs and all that kind of stuff but yet when you read the articles and the research around how that has changed the fandom group watching Formula 1 like in a younger population it is like unbelievable and fantastic is to into its its output in terms of what it's set out to achieve and getting new fans and more more younger people watching its its audience it was a huge success story so if that's the kind of thing that that's happening more and more and more um people are, are going to want to see more and more and more behind the scenes because it just has that much of an impact on on the face and so that commercial the commercial nature of needing that content is going to be, is going to be created the challenge so so content creation is going to, is here to stay and it's going to come in lots of different forms and the clubs are going to have to figure out how do they bundle it all together and sell it and and commercialize it which everybody's still trying to figure out and play with now um so that's i think that's a that's at one part of, uh, of of commercial um and um you know our job on this call is how do we create Spaces and how do we create environments and studios and um, and um, you know piece to camera moments and you know uh, if you think about spider cameras over over uh, over different places and drones flying through things and you know you, you name it it's all kind of like how do you get that angle in that picture that you see on that drive to survive the way that was shot was just just beautiful um, and um, and so you know but we have to kind of create those spaces and think about those in our design now which is which is hugely way out of our comfort zone you know in terms of how, how we how we doing seeing that into the future but there is other partnerships you know and um, and we've been part of uh, part of this you know if, let's take um let's take mip in manchester manchester health of performance yeah that was that partnership around how do we kind of take a science research facility link it to the community and get massive benefits from the community out of its research and innovation and science from uh, an elite performance environment? How does that link up with the university, give the university its standing and and partnership? And now you're starting to talk about tripartite um, um, partnerships that are impacting cities, not just uh, a football club or not just a, a, an athletics club or a cycling club or a boxing club going into miss you 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 are impacting a whole community a city uh, uh two major brands within a city and uh and everybody just feels like it's winning out of this out of this integrated approach to partnerships um
0: so i think it's another good example of of how you know you can start to kind of get things to work for you yeah no i think i think that's that's a, probably a, a really good point to end this conversation on I think um you know what, what we've heard is gone are the days when uh, you know a, a training ground was some players running around on a windswept hillside and then going back to the change rooms and nipping off to the pub it's a it's it's a whole um, layer after layer of science commercialization um the idea of the the the, the streetsway lead the aspiration the player journey, the community integration, the opportunities for commercialization. All of which, in some respects, I suppose you could say, could be a could, and I think you've alluded to it, Nick, could be a huge distraction for for some parts of of the of the, of, of the elite playing stuff who are fundamentally played to do that thing, but 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 you know some very clever people, not not least you and Andy, have obviously given this subject a, a, a huge amount of thought, um and uh and it, and it's been really interesting to hear from you both. Uh, I think you know I know from my experience of working with you guys over the course of the last. 15 20 years the industry has changed massively and we're now talking about subjects that when we were working together on man city we weren't talking about then and now we are you know women's football accessibility social media and all the rest of it and i'm sure in five and ten years time it will change again but but it but it's um it's 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 a fascinating subject and i think what we've learned is it's 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 probably a lot more complex than, than people would imagine and it needs uh, smart people to, to figure it all out so again I'd just like to thank, thank you both for your time it's, it's been really interesting and, uh, and at that point I would just like to wrap up this podcast so thanks for listening and um, speak to you again